Welcome to Sober Holic, a podcast about Christian recovery, where each week we explore topics that can free you from bondage and strengthen your relationship with God, others, and yourself. Now, your show hosts, Roger and Jason. Welcome, Soberholics. Today is an easy day for us. Jason, how, how's it going? It's been going good. Man, you know, um, usually, I guess to let our listeners hear the behind-the-scenes scoop of what happens at Soberholic, is usually we come in on Mondays and record our shows. And But today is not Monday, is it? No, it's Friday. It's Friday, and we're actually both off today. Yeah, Friday. <laughs> and so we kind of figured it would be a cool thing to do. You know, um, every week we get different questions from you guys about uh, just topics that we hear. And they come in through Facebook. They come in through the website and through our emails. And we thought it was kind of time to address some of those rather than replying back all of those questions we could just kind of listen to or give them out to everybody yeah and and the other part of that is we love hearing from you so keep the comments the questions keep them coming uh you can you can message us on facebook instagram email there's a variety of ways to get a hold of us if you just have show ideas if you disagree with us on something and you want to argue with us then we're here i particularly <laughs> like the ones that argue with you about things that you say yeah <laughs> <laughs> and there seems to be a lot of those yeah yeah <laughs> well you know um so i guess you know we were just talking kind of over coffee this morning uh, about how to start this or what to really title this and we kind of came up with the idea of just Coffee and conversation, because that's really what this is going to be for Jason and I, and that's the reason I said it's going to be an easy podcast for us today. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the questions, and and rather than going to where they all are, I wrote some of them down for us. And the first question that that I wanted to talk to, talk about was, what would you suggest to someone who is a chronic relapser? Mm. Oh, you're asking me. Oh, yeah. I'm looking at you and asking <laughs> you, what would you say to someone who is a chronic relapser? Well, I, I've seen a lot of people in recovery who, you know, I mean, this is a really common problem. You see them, they come through rehab, they do good. I mean, I was kind of, I was a chronic relapser for a little while. I mean, I don't, well, I had never actually lapsed, but I, I would go to rehab <laughs> I'd get out, I'd do good for a little while, you know, and then I'd be, I'd relapse and be back, um, back worse off than I was. But I see people doing it all the time. And the biggest thing is they, they don't make any kind of changes. Um, I know I've, I've talked to a lot of people in recovery and I even did this for a long time where I would, I would go to rehab or go to treatment center and I'd come back home and I'd try to pick my life up and try to make my life to be where it was before. I'd try to get everything back that I lost and try to put the puzzle pieces of my life back where they used to be and they never fit. And then I would get frustrated and I'd get depressed and have anxiety because I couldn't get those those pieces to fit back together where they used to be into the story that didn't work in the first place right yeah i don't know why i was trying to recreate my life that was terrible but i was trying to get all those things back and i didn't make the necessary changes that it takes to actually move forward in recovery the other thing that i always did and i'm just talking from my own experience is 
always wanted to just forget that I was I, I, a part of it was I didn't want to accept that I was an addict and an alcoholic. And so I'd always just want to get to a place. I, I would have a good job sometimes and I would start making some money and start making progress. And I would just want to forget that I was, you know, that that ever was a part of my life and just try to forget my past altogether and just move on. Well, the problem was with, you know, shutting the door on your past is you forget who you are and you forget, you know, all those things that, that those temptations, those triggers, you, you can't shut the door on those things and expect to, to stay sober. Well, here it is, Sober Hollis. I'm going to give you the answer to this, and it will fix everything. And this is the same advice that was given to me from my first sponsor that called me a retread because it happened over oh, yeah. and over and over. You know, he opened up the book to the very front cover to where there's like just the white page with no writing yet. And he said, this is what you know about staying sober. Mm. And it took me to, to, to kind of get slapped in the face like that because I had, like you, periods of sobriety in my life. And my argument was always, well, I know how to stay sober. And I've heard that from so many sponsees. Well, you know, I had four years of sobriety, you know, four four years of um, staying away from this particular thing. And so I know how to do this. And my statement, as my sponsors was to me, is if you knew how to stay sober, then you'd be sober. And it took someone talking to me like that and, to make me realize maybe, maybe I don't. I mean, just because I, if I got four years of sobriety, if I've got four months of sobriety and I relapse, then obviously I'm doing something wrong. Even, even though I had a period of sobriety, I still am doing something wrong. So that's the reason I believe that in order for any chronic relapser to stay sober, they've got to be teachable. And that's what my sponsor has taught me to do is to remain teachable. Yeah, that's great. And I see, uh, I've seen a lot of people with the rehab situation scenario, they'll go through the rehab, they'll do good a little while, and then they'll relapse, and then they'll go back to that same rehab again, and then get out, and then do good a little while, and then relapse, and then go back to that same <laughs> rehab again. At some point, you got to change, change it up, you know, to, you know, granted, you weren't probably doing what you're supposed to that led to to a relapse but at some point you got to just kind of sh- shake things up and, and change it up you mean like swap rehabs yeah but to me i think it really falls back to what i was saying i believe that if you walk back into the same rehab because they're going to teach you the same things right so you walk in with the ideas if you know everything yeah well uh, there you go you're not teachable you just yeah. believe that you have the answers for it because oftentimes I've had sponsors talk to me about how this program or that program didn't work or or how they're just a, a workhorse or, you know, different yeah. the different arguments I've heard. Slave drive you. Yeah, you, you know the story. But it's not so much of those things. It's really these inner things that we deal with that we believe that we have the right answers and we want to play a victim in everything. Yeah. And we've got to get over the victim mentality, take ownership of where we're at and become willing to to be taught something new. Right. And I think what makes somebody be teachable is you've got to let that pride go. And that's uh that's not easy for anybody to do. So this second question came in and they didn't really address it to you or to me. It was just the question itself. But it says besides stopping your addictive behavior, what is the most beneficial change 
you have made in your life since recovery. Now, for me, as I look at stopping these addictive behaviors, well, I still talk about in my recovery group that I struggle with addictive behaviors in general. Just because I gave up the drugs and alcohol in my life, my life got better, and there's not the obsession to drink and drug today, but I still struggle with addictive behaviors. But if it if you're talking about like what the most beneficial change I've done outside of just doing drugs and alcohol, there's a lot. Um, you know, I guess if I really was to tell you the thing that helped me the most physically would have been when I lost a lot of weight and started running. We've talked about that in the past. Mm-hmm. You know, I felt better. My energy levels were up. Depression was much lower than it comes at other times. But I can't say that I'm even there today because I've quit the exercise that I used to do and I've, you know, I've gained weight since the, so even, you know, talking about what we talked about earlier, the chronic relapser, I fall into that with my food and, and those issues. I'm not o- o- obesely overweight by the standards many would think, but, you know, I, I'm not where I would like to be. And even in my head, being the chronic relapser, I'm going, I know how to lose weight. <laughs> you know, I know how to count calories. I know how to eat well, but yet I'm still kind of, you know, not where I want to be. Right. Yeah. For for me, other than, you know, pursuing a, a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you're not counting that, I think for me, the most beneficial thing was what you were talking about, how to deal with my depression, because that's what always led me back in to relapsing was I'd get depressed and then I would decide I'm not going to feel like this anymore and I'm going to do something about it and I would use and learning how to deal with that um, in positive ways through positive outlets um, you know, was was a pretty big deal for me being able to recognize, hey, I'm starting to get depressed here. Asking other people around me, hey, do I seem depressed? You know, um, has been really helpful. And then another part of that was exercise. I have found for me that exercise helps me uh, mentally to to not get as depressed. And I, I just have I'm just you know, in a better mood most of the time when I'm exercising. I just started running back from my winter hibernation, uh, extended winter hibernation here. And (laughs) I can already tell just two weeks in, you know, my mood is a lot better. And um, the other thing that I use to deal with depression is I set goals. You know, I like having long-term goals and when I have those goals, it gives me something to work towards and something to look to the future towards and to be able to, you know, have long range, medium range, short, short range goals. It feel it makes me feel like I'm working on myself and bettering myself. How do you go about setting setting goals? Is it all long range? Is there short range? Do you write them down? How do you go about doing that? Yeah, well, I have a kind of mid-range goal right now of running a marathon in october i mean these goals don't the full deal right yeah these goals don't have to be some earth-shattering you know i'm going to change the world type goals it can be just as simple as that and (laughs) that is not a simple goal my friend (laughs) well i mean it's not like i'm not you know breaking new philosophical uh, frontiers by writing a new book or anything like that but um that's kind of a mid-range goal and you know, I'll have short range goals in there. I'll follow a, a marathon training plan 
And there's a certain peace and satisfaction I get out of following a plan. And uh, it, I've, I've found that it helps me uh, mentally to, to, and to stay in a good mood and just to be more serene all around. So I like it. So you you you, you may have a, a long-range or a mid-range goal, and you use smaller goals to, to work your way up to the bigger goal. Yes. Makes sense. I know um, as we were talking, I thought about another thing. You know, you, you mentioned the spiritual aspect of asking Jesus, you know, the most beneficial thing. And, and we talked about kind of the, the depression aspect of it. You know, for me, about three years into my sobriety from drugs and alcohol, I think that's how long it was. It's been a while now. It's hard to remember exactly what year. But my wife and I was wanting to have a kid, and we both smoked cigarettes. And I did not want her to smoke while she was pregnant <laughs> but and you were going to well that's what i knew i had no i had no argument there and so i decided to quit smoking cigarettes and so that i could say now you don't smoke with my baby in the womb and so i had something to stand on and that was hard man that may have been just as hard as quit doing the drugs mm-hmm. to quit smoking cigarettes and so if you don't know what it is to do drugs and alcohol and you smoke, then you probably know more than you think you know. But I say that, I say all that to say this is I, I did quit smoking, and it took me many bouts to actually get that down without relapsing. But it's been many years since I smoked today. But uh, financially speaking, that may have been the greatest benefit I've ever done. At that time, I remember saying that I was not going to keep smoking if cigarettes got up to $3 a pack. And I think they're like five-something now for Marlboro's. They're more, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, and so I I don't know. I just think of how much money I've saved because I guess I've been quit – 12 or 13 years somewhere around there now and if you count it up to two packs a day i smoked you know ten dollars a day that that, i've never really counted it maybe i'll do that after we get done with this and that's that's a lot of money so that's a great benefit to have done that while i've been in sobriety oh yeah and those are the things i keep working on that's the reason i I haven't ever just walked away from my recovery community because i believe there's always something to work on oh yeah so the next question we've got is, can you guys come speak at our CR group? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, we can. In fact, um, we, we've kind of been doing some of those here lately. Yeah. We've had several. I think I'm going out to Georgia to speak out of state mm-hmm. here. Uh, maybe next month. I can't really remember. I've got it in my calendar. Uh, but we'll be going out, to, or I'll be going out there, and you're driving with me yeah. if everything works out. Road so, trip. Yeah, it's going to be cool. I'm going to enjoy doing that. But, you know, we've got a, a written testimony we share at CR groups and are willing to do that. Heck, I'm willing to go anywhere as long as it don't cost me a fortune to get there. Right, yeah. yeah. I mean, if it's in Anchorage, Alaska, I mean, it's going to be a little tough. But Yeah, you better send me airfare <laughs> with that. But yeah. I'll go. I would love to go to Alaska. Yeah. Matter of fact, that's like a bucket list place for me. Although I don't travel to hit my bucket list, I love to just share hope. That's the coolest thing that I found in recovery is when I first came in, I was so ashamed of who I was and what I had done. And today I can honestly say I'm grateful to be an alcoholic and drug addict. And most people just can't get that. They don't understand that. But I have a testimony today that shows what God has done in my life. And I believe it's strong enough to lead people to Christ because they can see hope. And as bad as their life may seem, there is hope. And that's what I believe in sharing is that to other people. 
And the greatest thing about um, being able to share your story um, of how God has has brought you out of the pit and restored your life is all that pain that you went through, it's not wasted. You know, no pain is wasted in God's kingdom. And only God could do that. You know, only God could take that pain that you went through and turn it into bringing about, uh, you know, hope and, and change to further his kingdom. And that's just an amazing thing um, about being in recovery is none of that was wasted. All right. So the answer to that question is simply this. If you'd like for Jason or I, either one, to come out and speak, um, even on Sunday morning to your church, um, both of us are ministers as well, or if it's to a CR meeting, any of those things, I guess the, probably the best way to get a hold of us would be at soberholicpodcast at gmail.com. And just send us an email, and we can get back with you there. And again, that's soberholicpodcast at gmail.com, or I guess Facebook would work just as well. Yeah, Instagram. Don't eat Instagram Snapchat. me. Jason, I'm I have just to kidding. get back with me because I, I, don't, I don't get it. I still don't get the whole Instagram yeah. thing. We don't have Snapchat. I'm just kidding. I don't even know what a Snapchat is. You don't want to know. Don't worry about it. I feel so old when I talk on these things. When we start talking about <laughs> social media, I just don't get it. My kids tell me all the time, Dad, they just shake their head at me. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so my wife thinks I have a drinking problem. I think she has an eating problem. What's the difference? I love this. See, when I read this, I come unglued laughing. Oh, man. So what does it look like? What do you think about that uh, when people begin comparing addictions like that? Oh, yeah. I think that's... A typical thing in a marriage is keeping score of each other's faults, and I, that's it's, you know fundamentally it's unhealthy to do that. You know, you you don't want to keep score on each other. Say, like, ah, oh, well, I'm better than them, and you know, in this, and you know, because then you just start resenting the person, and then that resentment, you know, can turn can just drive a wedge between you in your marriage. I'm not a marriage expert here i'm still uh working on a lot of things myself but i have i have found that trying to keep score like this is just not a healthy way and that both of them if if you know whoever wrote this question you know if the husband is you know focused on the wife's problems and the wife is focused on the husband's problems well they're not working on themselves right well the way i look at it is the point can be made the same is when I go to CR meetings or any recovery meeting for that matter, it's easy to look at someone else's problem and say, wow, they're a lot worse off than me and minimize my problems. And that's kind of what I heard when I, when I read this question is like, oh, look at their problems. Maybe my problem's not as bad. Well, the, you know, the Bible tells us to get the plank out of our eye yeah. instead of looking at the speck in someone else's. So you know, that's kind of what I see here is, is if I have an issue, why don't I just work on my issue rather than trying to find someone else's faults? That's what led me in or left me in recovery or in addiction, rather, left me in addiction much longer than I ever wanted to be because I would always compare myself thinking I wasn't that bad yet. And the truth was I was dying a slow death. And, you know, if you have a spouse who 
or is telling you that you may have a problem, I would say take it as a warning sign that possibly you do. Maybe ask a buddy, hey, do you think I have a drinking problem? Maybe you'll hear that a couple of times. And what's the old saying? If it walks like a duck, if it sounds like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. Yeah. You know, so if you got some honest opinions from other people, maybe it's a real issue in your life you need to take a look at. Right. And then, you know, when if your spouse came to you in love, in a loving way, and said, hey, you really need to look at this, firing back at them, you know, with some problem you think they have, you know, you're just being defensive and you're not being, you know, open to the possibility that it might be true. That's never a good way to have a conversation. No. Have you done that in your marriage before? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, honey. I don't want to talk about those. (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) So this really wasn't a question, but it was a statement that I took out of an email that we got. And it said, my 34-year-old son continues to make um, bad decisions with his money. I kind of massacred that a little bit, so you may not have understood it. So he says, my 34-year-old son continues to make bad decisions with his money. So like I said, it's not a question, but it was a statement that I took out of this. And I don't know how old this person, this parent was talking about their son, but if you're if you're thinking about your 34-year-old adult son issues, then maybe the issue is not your 34-year-old son's spending, but rather your involvement in the 34-year-old son's life. Mm. You know, there comes a point where codependency and enablement is really the problem, and I would ask the parent possibly, where do, where are your boundaries at? Yeah, and I, I think we have an upcoming podcast on codependency coming up soon. I believe we do. In so, fact, if 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 everything if works like I think, uh, this gentleman is, is just wonderful talking about codependency. And so I'm really excited about hearing some of his thoughts on it. Yeah, codependency is a very complex issue. And a lot of people probably don't even know what codependency is. And I don't know if that's what this situation is, but it, it can be very, very hard to navigate and you know, I've I've had issues with it in my past uh, with my parent and with my mom, and we've we've worked through that now. But you know, being I was that thirty four year old that was making bad decisions with his money, and um, whenever the parent is trying to impose the will on the child, it really just makes it worse in, in a lot of ways. And so, I would agree with you that. You know, the parents should just really, you know, look at their, look at themselves and see see if their actions are enabling and even making the situation worse. Yeah, I, and I know I'm kind of drifting from the question or, or the statement rather, but my my mom was the codependent in my family. It seems like in every, especially in alcoholic or addict family, there is a codependent. Yeah, there just seems to always be one. And my mom was that in mine, and she knows that she was. But um, she would, like, bail me out of jail before I really got there. Like, yeah. I could call her on the way to the station. <laughs> hey, Mom, and she'd be down there posting bail. You know, I remember them signing their house up for bond to get me out at one yeah. time on some felony charges. And I think back now, I'm like, there is no way I would sign my house over for my kids. Now, granted, that hadn't happened in my life yet. Right. But I think at this point, there's no way that would happen. You would be there. 
Now, if you talk to my mother today that I've been sober for a little while and we've had an opportunity to talk about some of these things, there is no way that she would bail me out of anything today. Right. Um, even though I've lived, a, a, you know, I guess a, a quote, good life, you know, today and, and those consequences are not as severe in my life because of the actions that I take today. But uh, I just know that she learned a lot from about codependency and how to create some boundaries in her life to keep her healthy. Because when she began breaking or bending those boundaries in her life to bail me out, she was as unhealthy as I was. Right. And so that's what I believe if, if this person uh, could hear us and if this is the situation as, if, as I read it, to um, really kind of look at where they need to put some boundaries up. Yeah, that's great. So the last question is this. My husband won't stop drinking. Should I divorce him? And I believe this is a question that could work vice versa, you know, a wife um, to a man or a man to a wife, or even in a relationship that they're not married, should you leave them over that situation? What's your thoughts? That's, a, that's, that's complicated. You know, there's a lot of factors that I would want to know before saying, yes, you should, or, or yes, you shouldn't, or no, yeah, no, you shouldn't. And, you know, what, like, how long have you been together? I mean, have you been with this person for 25 years? I mean, if you've been with somebody for a month and their, their drinking is just is out of control and they're destroying everything they come in contact with, they're getting arrested and it's at that level, well, then you should probably just go and slip on out while, you know, while the going's good. But if it's somebody that you've been married to for 20 something years, I mean, you know, it's worth trying to stick it out. Of course, getting a divorce, you know, is a different thing. You should you should never want to get a divorce. You should always try to make it work. But again, there are situations, especially when when drugs and alcohol is involved, that you you've done all you can. Uh, I've seen you know different situations in recovery where. You know, the husband is is has a drinking problem. The wife stood by him for years and years, and they're either a chronic relapser and there's infidelity that's involved in all that. And, you know, the wife just had to set boundaries like we were just talking about and say, I can't keep on going on this cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had to get out for their own benefit. But I think it's a it's a case by case basis. You know, there's no one size fits all, you know, to this problem. Yeah, from a Christian's perspective, there's very little room to say that you need a divorce. Right. You know, infidelity would be one of those things, and the Bible didn't really address you know you being drunk and or an alcoholic or an addict, and should we divorce? So. You know, what I tell people often, whether they've been married six months or six years or 60 years, is that if it's come to a point where you've got to ask me this question, that means it's got pretty bad. And so I believe that maybe some of the best things that can happen is just a separation, not a divorce, and just take some time away from one another. Oftentimes, that allow, you know, the person with an addiction to realize, well, maybe the best words to say it allows them to hit their bottom a little faster to realize that maybe the wife or the husband won't be there for the long run. And they're not going to just put up with everything that they do. Now, as you said, it's hard to just say, that's what you should do. If you're hearing this and go, take my advice. This is 
this is the new standard because there's a lot of variables in that. And you, you don't want to just walk out because of one reason or another. Sometimes it may be better that you stay there through that. So that's that's a very difficult question to ask without hearing the the individual details. And I would definitely seek professional help uh, through counseling and marriage counseling if 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 it's if the other partner's willing you know definitely or your pastor or I your mean, pastor your pastor's probably the first step i would take with yeah that. but you definitely want to seek outside professional help in this and not just you know ask your your friend Susie what she would do um cuz this is you know this is very important your marriage is you know one of the one of the most important institutions that god has created on this earth and you want to take it um, take all all the, you know, the best godly advice and wisdom that you can in making that decision. But you know, I mean, it's so complex because you you could get into well, you said you would be there for them in sickness and in health, for better or worse, for better or worse. And so you know, there there is that that side to it that you you want to stand by them, and and tr- and hopefully you know, and and be praying for them that they will eventually hit their bottom and 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 a lot of times i've seen when a partner just says that hey i can't do this anymore just the threat of leaving them will sometimes motivate them you know to seek that help if it's a threat that you can follow through on right see that's not what i normally hear usually i hear a lot of threats but very little follow through right and so you know i'm i'm numb to those 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 threats that you throw at me when I was living in that sure. situation. So, well, guys, you know, I, I don't know if this helped y'all at all. Um, we've had fun sitting here with our coffee and just talking about, you know, what you guys talk to us about. And I, I hope that uh, maybe somehow, some way that, you know, our thoughts or opinions on some of these topics or subject matters uh, may help you um, now or down the road. But, you know, we do really enjoy talking to you, whether it is on our Facebook pages or emails. And so feel free to always, as Jason said at the beginning of the show, um, chime in and let us hear whether or not um, you like it or don't like it. We're always open to any opinion, comment, concern that you have. And you can reach us at SoberholicPodcast at gmail.com. You can go to our website. They've got links to the, our shows and also to our email there at SoberholicPodcast.com. And so, man, I think that's another one in the books. What do you say? Yeah, and when we get more comments and get more questions, we'll do this again. I, yeah, I would really like to you know, do this from time to time. It's, yeah. it's cool. It was it's fun, fun to answer what the listeners want to talk about. Yeah. All right, well, I'm Roger. I'm Jason. We're signing out. Thanks for listening to Soberholic with Roger and Jason. If you like the show and want to know more, check out SoberholicPodcast.com. Please remember to leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you next week, Soberholics.